looking right at you, John. How's my how's my hair? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're recording. We're, we're recording. recording. Are you ready? I'm a <laughs> blue shirt, black shirt. What this work for you? Yeah, it works. It's work for you. It's all good. It's all good. This is as handsome as I'm gonna get. Do you feel like a little bit of like a kick of like we're doing a show together right now? I do. Yeah. I do. I'm, like, I'm so out. Like my performer brain is so off that you know. No transition back into it. You've been doing it the whole time. <laughs> you played your role perfectly. <laughs> Man, you can't get on Zoom. <laughs> hey, look at me, look at me. I'm looking at you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> This is my friend, Eli Weatherby. Hi, Johnny. Oh, hey, Eli Weatherby. Um, hey, buddy. So we have been a comedy duo <laughs> in our years in Chicago together. Uh, you may have heard of us or may have not. It was called Ice Bear. It might have been something that popped up on your radar. I don't know. It may have been. Um, which is German for polar bear. German for polar bear. Um, they're very popular over in Germany. I've been several times. Oh, they love them. Uh, Canute, they're very big into their polar bears. Oh, God. Canute the polar bear. He's bigger than Santa Claus. Yes, he is. He is. Yeah. And he, the great thing about Canute is he brings you gifts regardless of whether you're good or bad. <laughs> so part of my introduction for Eli Weatherby is um, Matt Damon. In Born Identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eli yes. Weatherby is a fair comparison <laughs> to being a sleeper, a sleeper improviser <laughs> somewhere <laughs> else in the country that at a moment's notice can be woken up just like Matt Damon. <laughs> Activate Dreadstone. Uh, zip, zap, zap. <laughs> Dude, it's so good to see you like posting some uh, some silly videos lately. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, I just um, I got incredibly bored, and so I figured, why the heck not? Yeah. So Eli but, Eli's in Kansas, or was in Kansas, and yeah, uh, not in Kansas is now in yeah, not in Kansas anymore. Uh, in Montana, right? Yep, I just moved to Bozeman, Montana. <sighs> How is that? It looks beautiful. It's it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous out here. Um, I moved out here and I'm working at a ski resort um, because my family are, you know, well known for our <laughs> our skills on the slopes of Kansas. Uh, so I moved out here and get to live in the Rockies and it's just, it's gorgeous. I take a bus to work every day up into the mountains and I'm not going to lie, more often than not, I tear up because it's just, really? it's, so, it's so beautiful. And it's so the opposite of Kansas. Yeah. Actually, though, down in the valley, it kind of looks like Kansas if Kansas wasn't a shithole. Mm. Um, it's like if, if people cared about Kansas okay. and their nature. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so you've been, like, doing these funny videos. And I feel like how have you felt since, like, leaving Chicago – and like, it's like when you're like a creative person, like trying to find those different creative outlets, like, like during this yeah. pandemic, like I kind of like, in some way I'm like, don't even notice I don't have the, the outlet. And then all of a sudden it hits me one day. I'll be like, oh, I don't have an outlet to perform creatively. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, when I left Chicago, I was kind of like, I'm good. Yeah. I've had my shit performing for a while. And I knew, I mean... When I moved back to Emporia, a good friend of mine from college is now the, the technical director of the college we went to. So, you know, he's still big in theater and stuff. And we had some ideas about eh, maybe maybe we'll start doing improv shows and stuff and do this. And then, you know, we never quite got around to it. And then the pandemic hit and you realize there's just nothing to do. There's it's such a small town. 
there was already nothing to do. All, all and I now there's less is, of nothing to do. Now there's less of nothing to do. I've got it's it's negative energy. It just goes down. It's sucking uh. all of your life force out of you. So I basically just uh, started um, bothering my nieces and nephews. I would just stalk them and make them do bits with me all the time. <laughs> been like usually they love it but after a while they're like okay you can go away now we're done we're done <laughs> who's your little nephew what's his name do what what's your nephew uh, name? um there's a few of them there's olivia and then there's uh marcus trey and then mia is the two-year-old oh okay there's yeah. one that's got your middle name right oh yeah marcus marcus, marcus. eli yeah i feel like he's a little you in training yeah he's basically a cooler version than i am <laughs> He's just a cool me. I mean, it's weird to be jealous of eight-year-olds, but I am. I'm completely jealous. He's so much funnier than I was at that age. He's so much funnier than I am now. He's just brilliant. And I think at some point, either I will have to kill him or he will have to kill me. Yes, a duel of sorts. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, how has it been for you up there in Chicago? Oh man, I don't know. It's it's interesting because like I would say the city is, you know, lacks a lot of what makes it useful, you know. Yeah. Um, and so eh, it's been okay. I've been building this van, uh, <laughs> renovating I've it. Heard, I've heard about this van. I hurt my finger so fucking bad before we got on this call. Um, you probably can't see it on this call. But I no. have a splinter that is going into my nail bed, under my nail, into my nail bed, more than halfway Ooh. down. I can't get it out. I pulled it, part of it out and broke. I was like trying to cut it away at it. And it was like the first half hour was constantly throbbing. And in that moment, made me decide I was against torture. Absolutely. Yeah. I felt I like, like just a little bit of pain I felt. I was like, nobody should be being tortured. <laughs> it's awful. You can't do that to people. You can't. <laughs> this wasn't even that bad. No, it's... Ah, it is bad. It's so bad. Don't don't downplay your pain, Johnny. It's so bad. Under your nails and that quick... Yeah, oof. it was pretty bad. Oh. <laughs> I will tell you this. I When it went into my fingers, I crumpled to my knees <laughs> <laughs> and sw- swore and begged for the pain to stop. <laughs> <laughs> like literally crumpled to my knees, Eli. <laughs> and Matt's at work, and I like I wanted my uh, my husband to feel bad for me, <laughs> but he was also like having a rough day, and I'm like I should text him that I have a splinter under my fingernail. <laughs> but I just wanted somebody else to feel bad for me at the time. Oh, that's awful. So did you just quit for the day? Did you quit working on your band for the day? Uh, well, uh, I'll be back at it. I'm putting in the, the ceiling and boy. I uh, learned this as I'm uh, learning how to do every trick in the trade by building a van. Um, everything takes me four times longer than I think it should. Yes. Four times. Yeah. yeah. And, if I, and if I do the math and I multiply that out four times and make that my new standard... It's going to be four times longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> it's whatever I think it's going to be. It's four times longer than. Yeah, you're always going to overshoot your goals by four times the amount of time. Yeah, it takes me that much longer to do yeah. stuff. It's insane. Is there a favorite part of building the van that you enjoy? Like, was it the electrical? Was it the building the bed? Okay, so I'm only two. I got like the roof, the floor, the electrical in. We're going to talk about performing at some point, but we have to. I have to tell you about this van. Um, And, okay, electrical was awful, except for I had a friend who helped me, and it was, like, great. And, like, I learned a lot, but it was just mentally so overwhelming. Like, wanted to melt down while my friend was doing it for me. Yeah. Like, vaults and watts and thicknesses of wires and circuits and where things should go. But I think I I learned quite a bit, which is cool. Oh, yeah. It's infinitely uh, fun to learn about. My brother's an electrician, and I love just hearing him talk about it. But anytime I try to do it myself, I just want to electrocute myself within, like, 30 minutes, and I give up. Yeah. I um, But, I mean, retro, uh, like 
after the fact that it, I've done this work, I've had to go in and like troubleshoot some things, and now it feels good. It's like, yeah. uh-huh, I know what to yeah. do. But like the stress of like trying to like get this stuff done. Um, the most fun so far is yesterday. I took a whole bottle of foam spray and I sprayed it all over a wheel well. I mean, all <laughs> over a wheel well. <laughs> oh, I get in there. Yeah. It is so squishy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so satisfying. <laughs> it's like, you know, those like, do you like follow any of those Instagram like art people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where it's just like like things to watch when you're high or something. That's what it is. <laughs> That's just the this is but the I was completely you're... sober. <laughs> <laughs> what what's the is the foam insulation or were you cleaning off the wheels? The wheel wells. Oh no, no, I was adding foam insulation on top of the wheel wells. Yeah, uh... from a spray can. It's like great stuff or whatever that's called. Yeah. Um, so Eli and I, uh, <laughs> I want to say this. Not only have we um, improvised together, we've done yes. sketch shows, multiple yes. sketch shows. One was called Mono Myth. Mono Myth. <laughs> uh, uh, the Youth Pastor Sketch Show. The Youth Pastor, yes. I can't remember the name of that anymore. Uh, uh, it wasn't Youth Pastor? Maybe it was no. Youth Pastor. Or something. Uh, I don't know. What was it called? I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't matter. We were two youth pastors. Um, but we've also wrote in, <clears throat> written uh, a pilot. And Eli, I feel yeah. like we are finally the correct age for the pilot we wrote. I was just thinking about that the other day, and you're absolutely right. Because those those guys in their mid-20s, it doesn't work. <laughs> But when they're in their mid-30s and their bodies are falling apart and their hair is falling out and they have nothing else in their life, that's that's those characters. Yes, that's who it is. They haven't lost enough yet. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't tasted enough loss, right? No, no. We were too – we didn't understand what it really meant to force yourself to be joyful. <laughs> you know? It was too easy for us to have joy at that age. But now yes. you chuck in another decade of losses and <laughs> it makes sense. When you think you're having a down day when you're 25 is not the same as when you're having a down day when you're 35. Not right? comparable at all. You've got a little perspective. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a lot of perspective. What was the name? Life Coach. Life, Life Coach, Coach was the name of that pilot for that series that we came up with. Uh, two overzealous um, teachers, yes. instructors, life coaches, who really thought they could speak into any occasion or any person's life at any moment or at any event. Exactly. They, they, they were so sure of their own enlightenment and need to make everyone else's lives better that they knew they could just step into any situation and say, hey, this is what has to be happening for you. <laughs> All right, so we're going to record it this summer, uh, considering we're finally of age. Yeah, it's going to come out uh, in audiobook format. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe uh, we've been talking to some Japanese animators. We're thinking about getting a manga going. You know, I, I think it would really blow up over in Tokyo. <laughs> So um, we've done a bunch of shows together. Um, looking back on all of them, I wanted to ask you a uh, favorite memory or favorite memories. <laughs> and this could be the same as your favorite memory, but also <laughs> like worst, most uncomfortable performing uh, moments. Ooh, these are good questions. Um Man, one of the <laughs> some of the favorites, anything that happened at Upstairs Gallery. Yeah, I know, I know. I was gonna say that. Shout out to uh small theaters, right? Yes. Anything that happens yes. in those small spaces as a performer, um it, it it feels a little more special almost, right? Yeah, it feels so much more rewarding and like you connect with the audience so much better and, and you literally did because that 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 space was so well lit. Oh yeah. Like the yeah, audience it really was, was it, it, it felt like you were performing in a living room. Really. Exactly. Yeah. It was so uh cozy and intimate 
and worked lent, lent itself so well to our our stupid format where we're just like trying to force people to have this emotional connection um, <laughs> that it it really did it just turned these people into captives um it was such a great space but yeah any um one of my favorite memories is the show where we we must have been testing out some sketch material. I know you're going to say because it's the first thing that comes <laughs> to my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's go to sleep, little baby, for Monomyth. And we <laughs> we ruined this poor man's, what was it, uh, velour jacket <laughs> with our whipped cream. That, that was the first thing. The that is the first thing that will always come to my head. <laughs> he was so so angry here's the exception is like we had a couple awful shows there right sure sure yeah. as, we, as we may have had anywhere as, as yeah. anyone would when you have three people in the audience uh, <laughs> 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 and i think that was one such show where it was like it was already like <laughs> the i don't know if the audience had bought into what we were doing uh and then we got cool whip on this guy's jacket and, and he was, he just was so, rubbing and rubbing that was the, I think that was the only time in my life that I've actually seen someone leave in a huff. I've heard of it, but I've never <laughs> seen it happen. And that man, he left in a huff. It was he probably was like not, a couple splatters, right, of Cool Whip? Oh, yeah. It was yeah. A, I mean, if you're, it's a sketch show. Of course there's going to be Cool Whip at some point. Yeah. Don't sit yeah. in the front if you're like that worried about Cool Whip. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I think it's his fault. It's his fault. It certainly was. Sir, if you're out there and you hear this, we're not going to apologize. You come to an Ice Bear show, <laughs> it's it's like Gallagher meets the Sex Pistols. You know, it's it's punk rock. It's messy. Some fruit is going to get smashed. <laughs> Wear a tarp. Wear so a tarp. tell everybody what this bit was because, uh, boy, did I recycle it a number of times. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of mileage out of this bit. <laughs> this bit was, um, oh, boy. I don't know if it originated with a, a, an additional caveat, though it changed. It was just us um, very provocatively dancing s slowly and provocatively to um, Go to Sleep Little Baby from Oh Brother, We're Out Thou soundtrack. Yes. The, the sirens. The sirens, yes. Yeah. Go to sleep, you little baby. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it ended up with basically like us barking at each other, having what would seem some sort of like orgasm on stage, a sp but like a spiritual one. A spiritual orgasm. <laughs> not that most, they are. Most, most times mean, it was. Not that sometimes. orgasms in general aren't spiritual, but uh, it was, we didn't come. Yeah. I didn't come. <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak for Eli. Uh, after barking a lot, we pulled out whipped cream. We sprayed it in our mouths, and um, yeah. you get the you you get the bit. You get the gist. You get the gist. I don't know if you yeah. get it as a joke, but you get the gist of yeah. the performance art that happened, and yeah. that's when some whipped cream splattered on this guy's coat. It was a few specks. Just a few specs. Just a few specs. And he literally did work himself into a tizzy. Like he pulled out like a napkin or a Kleenex or something. He was like, <laughs> and he got yes. a huff. I feel like he was a, like a, like he was a, an a reviewer. adjunct. A reviewer? <laughs> like that's the vibe I got from him. Like a young 23-year-old adjunct English professor who uh, really. Yeah, he thought he was doing really, something more important than he was in life. Yeah. Yeah, he probably left and went straight to a wine bar. Oh man, Oof. ever think you're? But yeah, that was, yeah. I was gonna say it's probably my, one of my favorite memories. Um, just for <laughs> just for that shared experience of I mean, there's so many times in when improv is going well that you like you know you're, there's that emotional and mental connection that you have with each other yes. when you're performing. It's like that telepathy that's happening. And <laughs> I know when like, it was like we both saw that whipped cream hit that man's jacket at the same time. <laughs> and <laughs> we could feel from us that energy of, 
oh no. But then like, just keep going, just, just push through it. And then getting to reconvene after the show and just talk about it. Um, we should have stopped and made the rest of the show about his coat. Yeah. That's, at, the, at that we point, were, that would have been the right thing to do. Yeah. If we were as wise as we are now, yeah. we would have just stopped and... Celebrated the coat, first of all. Celebrated the because coat. Because it had some good years before it got that whipped cream on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, worst memory, I don't have... Not too many... I mean, we had so many bad shows, but they fade in your mind with time. Um, I feel like we did a Battle of the Band style duo, uh, something at comedy sports. Oh yeah. Anything that's, that, anything that's set up as a competition and improv yeah. is the worst. And none of those, none of those, uh, we, I think we did a few of those. Which is all of, that's actually what comedy sports is. Oh yeah. Set up as yeah. a competition. Exactly. Yeah. But just not for us. It's just not, not for that. That's not, not that space, I, not that venue. That's one of those where I remember performing and just feeling icky the entire time. Like I sometimes like when improv goes bad, like it feels like it feels like a, an old gym towel has been thrown on your body. Yeah. Like that sticky, musty feel. That's that feeling I get. Yeah. And it feels, it feels bad because it's like, you're asking the audience to enjoy something they're not enjoying. Yeah. And you're asking, and then it can turn into this thing. And maybe this is why it becomes bad as you, there might be a part of you that's asking for affirmation. Yep. And it's like, that feels dirty. Oh, it's disgusting. It's a disgusting feeling that, please like me. Yeah. Please, please like what I'm doing. Which is you kind just, of, you just have to always kind of set yourself up not to be in that mindset. Right? right. If you are yeah. ever in that mindset, which is like ugh, the hardest mindset to, to shake during an audition or something that's like a competition, right? Of like, you, I want you to like this. That's the oh, worst. Yeah. Auditions are the, the the easiest place to get into that mindset because it's literally what it is, is you're going in there asking for them to like you enough to give you a job yeah. or give you a place on this team. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, sometimes I'll have a good audition, but like fundamentally, like my capacity to audition well, <laughs> I'm, at, I'm like running at 50%. Yeah, on average, at most auditions. Yeah, I think it's like yeah. Talking to people, talking to other performers, I've kind of started to get the idea that uh, you're never as bad as you think you are in your audition, and on the flip side, you're never as good as you are as as you think you are in an audition. Like, there's no such thing. There's maybe no such thing as a great audition. It's just this disgusting ritual you have to go through. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like whenever you can create for yourself on stage or in an audition, like the ability to not care, that's when you're at your like your sweet spot. Oh yeah. Right. That's the greatest time when you can just go in there and you know, just realizing that it's temporary and it's not gonna last and then it's done once it's done. Yes. And just kind of surrender yourself to it. And that it won't matter later on. Oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, if the pandemic has proven anything, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Yeah. Um, dude, I heard this. So I heard this perspective from oh, some podcaster or something the other day, and he said something about the fact of like reassessing uh, what you want, and like you know, as as we always should, but then also realizing that that thing you may have wanted 10 years ago, yeah. you don't have to keep wanting it. Which is, yes. I think, such an interesting like thing to think of as a performer, right? Because uh, you, you will change. Your goals will change. What you want will change. And like the mindset we might have had 10 years ago coming into like doing comedy like, and what you want, <laughs> from it versus like performing now or doing something like comedic now or silly. It's like those, like those goals change and they really should. And Absolutely. you're not beholden to it. Yeah. And it's just a, it's just a silly idea to think that you need to be sitting here 
setting your goals down at, you know, your goals at 22, you're going to set those down in stone. And then those are going to be the ones that you're going to be chasing and wanting to achieve for the rest of your life. Like you're not, you're not going to be the same person. And so absolutely right. What you want out of life and artistically and in any endeavor is going to shift. It's going to change. It's going to evolve. And kind of the sooner you can be okay with that and let that happen. um, I think the the happier you're going to be. Which is, you know, which is kind of like, I'm the sort of person who like when I know a philosophy or a theory um, and I have that as a guideline in my head, I do better than just kind of knowing something intrinsically experientially or I should say. And yeah. so like hearing those words the other day, I was like, I already know that. I know that. But also like, Oh, that's, that's good to like be able to articulate that. Especially with yeah. like, I feel like so many people right now, we're all having like a, a change of like direction and like having this like slowdown of like, where am I geographically? Do I want to be there? Like I've got all this extra time. Like, uh, my husband, Matt, um, uh, started busking this year and like playing his cello instead of like yeah. working some job he didn't care about. And like, exactly. he's like, just the feeling of people like, like appreciating him like on the, on the street and like, and like him doing like little mini concerts for people has been so much more satisfying. And I don't know if he would have done it this year without a pandemic. Yeah. And like, um, uh, starting this podcast and doing uh, building our van have both been things that I was like, I've got so much bandwidth to do something different. <laughs> yeah, that like, exactly. there's no way I would have built a van if I was just like going to work and like. No, you would have never had the time to devote to it and the energy. You know, you yeah. you never would have made yourself probably because it's something. I mean, I know it's something you've kind of talked about for a while, but it's always one of those kind of like distant distant goals, those maybe goals, those ones that are out there on the horizon. Yes. But which is like so crazy that like, that we have these like weird goals like that, that Mm -hmm. probably weren't like our original goals or things that we were originally aiming for. That, um, for some reason we're like, no, 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 I can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's more like, it's, it's a better choice to stay in Chicago Mm -hmm. and, do another 10 years of what I'm doing and I don't feel satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> then like, to change and do something I want to do. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because I have the security of barely making any money. <laughs> 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 and being familiar with my surroundings. How much, can I ask you, how much of that for you, because I know what my answer is, but how much of that for you is being afraid to admit defeat or seeing it as de- admitting to feel like if you were goal shift and you're, you know, hypothetically going to run into somebody you knew from college and they ask you, Hey, right, right, right. How's it going? And you're like, Oh, I'm doing this now. The old classic you're at your, your, your high school reunion sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very little. I think good on you. I, I think, I, I don't know yeah. if I'm being completely honest, but I think it's very little. Isn't that funny that I'm not even certain? Well, yeah, I think it's a hard question to really button down. Right. 100% of your psyche. But I would agree with that. I mean, that's not a surprising answer for me. For as long as I've known you, you've been much better at being like, I'm going to get validation from myself. And Mm. that's always, that's a good quality you have. I don't know if that. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I think that's that's always a quality that I've admired about oh, you. Oh, thank you. You've always been much easier at just being like, hey, this is what I want to do. And you recognize that there's that, you know, urge to please others and validate others. But you're, you've been very good at being like, these are my choices that I'm going to make for me and what I think is going to serve me well. Thank you. And I, and I think that is actually only gotten a little bit better. I don't think that has always been true. And I actually mentioned this once before on the podcast of that, by the way, in like five minutes, it's going to kick us out of this meeting because it thought there was three people and you can't have three people in a meeting because Eli called in from two different (laughs) devices. Uh, So we're going to restart this in just a second. Literally everything I do. (laughs) 
I am poison, people. Stay away from me. Such sweet poison, though. <laughs> Tastes good going down. Um, I was I was gonna say that um, uh, my goals have shifted a little bit, and I realized that when like coming to comedy, of of course. There's one whole side of me that just completely like likes comedy and the silliness and the fun and the joy of it and the creativity, right? But yeah. there's still this human nature part of like, ooh, wouldn't it be nice to get famous? Ah, right? Yeah. Everybody and, wants that. Yeah, of course, right? And for me, there was a um, a side of that that was like, I would like to become famous and good at what I'm doing so that if anyone ever found out someday that I'm gay, that... It'll be this little safety net of like, oh, but Johnny's famous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't yeah. That, it, what a weird yeah. psychological thing to tell yourself growing up. I mean, I probably told yeah. myself that a lot. Like, I, I won't lose people's love or affection if I've, like, become successful at something and famous, exactly. right? Yeah. And so, like, part of that striving for that was, like, hoping to be able to, like, retain affection in some weird, probably, like, back of my head sort of way. Like oh, pro- yeah. I probably wouldn't have even spoken that out to myself, like in my head, but like retrospectively, like that certainly was probably a thing for me. That's what it was. And that's the thing. Like we lie to ourselves so much. Like we don't ever want to fully admit that there's that little ugly nugget of truth. Like that real truth is I'm just doing this for love, you know, or I'm doing <laughs> this for meditation. <laughs> Cause we make, we think that it makes us a bad person, but it turns out like, all of these quote unquote negative attributes everyone has. They exist. The it natural- turns out, yeah. And better to confront them and like look at them and be like, oh, there's also this side of something. Yeah. Nothing's ever like fully one thing or the other, but like no. embrace it and then go for the fame you need. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Find any way you can get it, even if it means getting in the Granville Gazette. <laughs> delivered on Wednesdays the, the local uh, newspaper the premier center of journal- journalism for uh, north central Michigan um, I've, so I've been spending a lot of time in Michigan yeah I've, beautiful state beautiful, beautiful state especially up north yeah like the trees all start to change. They become more like birch, like birch trees. And I don't know if aspens are what they are, like the type of pines, but they're very beautiful, whatever it is up there. <laughs> whatever type of tree it is, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I've been spending a lot of time in um, West Michigan and um, in order to like work on this van in my parents' driveway. And yeah. it's very funny how being home, how old feelings come back and old like old ways of thinking. Yeah. And not to make everything in life about being gay or coming out or blah, blah, blah. But there's like this weird reality. I talked to my brother about this, that like every time like we go back home, there's this like level of like this baseline of like, oh, who who you were before and Mm -hmm. like how like you want to make people feel comfortable and like, well, of course, for, for a large part of our lives, that was like being in the closet, right? Um, that even though like I'm out or, you know, okay, okay, like being who I am, as soon as I'm like back home, there's a part of me that's like wants to fall back into some old habits. Yeah. These habits. I actually, I had a similar experience when I moved back to Kansas and what helped me is one day it clicked that. I started to visualize it as a pinball, pinball machine. You know how the pinballs have the rails the two little rails that guide where the pinball is going to go. Stay on this analogy. Stay on this analogy. We're going to get cut off in like two seconds, I think. Okay. I'm but, going nowhere. I'm riding the rails. I'm riding the rails all the way. You're riding the rails. We've pulled back the little thing that shoots the ball. The yes. I know a lot about pinball machines. <laughs> it says less than a minute and it's still going. Oh, it's no. so tense, Eli. I feel uh, like I'm in a, in a, in a, in a bomb scare caper. Like, the beginning of I feel like I'm at the beginning of the X Files movie. We've all seen it. We all know it. We love it. Older, <laughs> I haven't seen it. I, have, I haven't seen it's it, and I don't know it or love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe this is just gonna pass. This minute's gonna pass, and it's gonna keep saying this. 
God. Because there's no longer three of us in here. This is when Eli fucked up and came in <laughs> from two different devices. Nope. There we go. Yes. Okay. A pinball. Yes. Let me just quick. Wait, uh, did, you, did you have some barbecue? A- did you have a barbecue sandwich? We took a half hour lunch break. Yeah, I need to I need to cool down. But let me just say, uh, me fucking up a Zoom meeting is a perfect example of Johnny and I's relationship, both working <laughs> and otherwise. Johnny sets something up perfectly, and then I find a way to hamstring it, no matter what. No, not all the time. <laughs> Most of the time. All right, you were talking about uh, being back home and like what that felt like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got to do a pinball analogy. It's kind of a pinball. I feel like your your ways of interacting with individuals and locations and situations are, to me, I visualize them as pinball tracks. And it's one of these things that no matter how much you try to grow and stuff, there's always this, that pinball wants to fall back into into that groove. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when the pinball gets geographically somewhere in the game, it wants to be in that groove. Wants to be. I've played pinball twice. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> analogy. It works. Okay. <laughs> how long? So how long have you been uh, out of um, Chicago and the performing scene? Uh, I left Chicago in May of 2018. Okay. And then I don't, uh, the last, I think the last performing I did was uh, the uh, youth pastor at IO with you. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which was, did we do that in 2018? Was that spring of 2018? I don't think of things in, in numbers and years. I just think of, <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Silly me. That sounds plausible. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's been about it's been about two and a half, two and a half, three years since I've really done any real performing. Do you miss it? I miss it all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, I love it. It's just, um, yeah, I love it. It's such a validating and fun and fruitful experience to get to just create art with people and it, regardless of whether it's, you know, improv or theater or mm-hmm. music or anything like that, it's just so much, so much fun. So Eli, uh, legitimately, um, you are like one of my, no prob- dare I say my favorite performer to watch perform. Oh, um, and okay. it's like, like the, <laughs> The energy you muster of like going into a character and like the <laughs> switch and the power behind it. And here's the thing that like it's dumb, but like I'll see other people are doing characters or like filming themselves doing characters. And like they're doing the character, but their eyes are them they're they're there behind their eyes. And yeah. they like they don't see the situation, they don't see the reality. <laughs> but whenever you perform it's like it carries through into your eyes in a way that like it's so weird but you can see it when people are trying to think of the next line or they're like um thinking about how they're being perceived but when you're like in it in it it's like bye bye sweet eli and there's so many times i'll see things happening like like I'll see a like a performance thing that's like ridiculous or i'll see an insane person in real life and i'll be like Eli could do this perfectly. Perfectly. <laughs> I think what that is is like for me being like being Eli is of like existing in the world as Eli and like trying to navigate it is very, very confusing. And I never seem to know what the right thing to say is or how the right thing to way to react is. But when you're able to like drop into a character, like if you can like access that character, it you know, like this person knows how to exist and how to react in any situation. So I don't have to figure anything out anymore. Isn't that wild? Um, 
I remember hearing you say that like one or two times about a job, about feeling uncomfortable at a, like a job. And then you yeah. were like, you said something like, I'm just going to play a character while I'm there. Oh yeah. I, anytime I'm at work at any job I'm doing, like I'm, I don't mean this to sound like I'm fake or anything, but there's like a, there's like a little bit of a mask that I put on a little bit of some sort of character that I drop into, to allow me to kind of get through the day because otherwise it's just, it's too much. <laughs> Does that sound as sad no. <laughs> to you as to me? No. Sounds like creative genius. <laughs> with a touch of sadness <laughs> some deep mental illness there well we, we, um, we all we all do that right it's like we all like yeah. shift our personalities depending on who we're around and what the situation is or yeah like we we try to like meld the things or we meld to what we think people want us to be right, right. which is probably like the wrong way most of the time to do it right i don't know i don't, I don't is that what? true I'm not sure how else you get through the day with as many layers of responsibilities and types of people that we have to be in our day-to-day lives. It's now. just like that Amy Grant song, Hats. <laughs> Do you know it? I, I don't know it. I'm one sure day I'm a mother, one day I'm a lover. What am I supposed to do? Hats. Exactly. Working yeah. for a living all because I'm driven to be the very best for you. Mm. Hats. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's my life right there. Hats. Just switching out hats. Um, I think that kind of ties back though, hand in hand to like this thing of like, like you being like, I don't know how to be Eli in this situation. So I'm going to be just like Eli, like plus Eli plus a little bit of a character or something or like, or Eli and this other thing. And it's like, that's that thing where it's like, we were just talking about this earlier, where it's sometimes it's so hard to self-diagnose, right? Yeah. I was like, I, like when I was like, I didn't know if I was answering that question honestly. Like, I, I legitimately don't know. It's because we're like, there's, we're so like multifaceted and like, man, like, honestly, your brain is in a, just such a different spot, no matter like how you're feeling, like biochemistry, like physical location and geography, if it's sunny out. I saw this picture today. We have like um, scrolling pictures of us on our, like our family pictures on our television, on our Chromecast. I saw this picture of me and my brother and we were like in onesie pajamas being super like Aryan, (laughs) like just bright blonde (laughs) hair and like, like hugging each other in the carpet on the floor. And I was probably like, I don't know, three or four. And it's like, it's true that that was me or that that person grew into this person right that's true yeah but to say that i'm that person feels less true yes like any older version of yourself like to say that you're that person anymore is like not as true as it is that you grew into this person am i am i saying that in a clear way i don't know yeah Yeah, i think so makes sense to me or the version of me that exists right it's now. It's like the river that changes. Thank you, Eli. Yes, the version of you that understands it. Yes. Um, yeah, that's just where it is. Is yeah, People are just mutable. You know, we change throughout our lives and we're different. And we, you know, as Amy likes to say, we wear a lot of hats. We do wear a lot but of hats. And it's just, you can't, sometimes you can't hold yourself to the standards you set were the ideals that you set when you were younger, when you thought you knew what type of person you were going to be, because you're not going to be that person. Yeah. By the time you get to that that point, the topography has shifted. Yes. What do you think is true about you, was true about you as a young kid, that is still still very true about you today? Um, well, like, I would what, say... What things are consistent? I would say one of the truisms for my for my character is... I, I love making people laugh. Yes. I love it. Yeah. I love make. I love even almost even more than performing, interacting with an individual and off stage, not as a performer, and just making them laugh. And they're not expecting it. And they're not ready for it. But just that sense of like joy and release that comes out of them. It's one of the most fulfilling things that I've ever. I've ever experienced, and it it hap- It's it's been that way since I was a little kid. I love that. I feel that that's i feel that way too like 
literally today, like I walked into Home Depot to rent an electric nail, uh, bread nailer. <laughs> Look at us. What a couple of men. <laughs> what a couple of men, eh? <laughs> Uh-huh. And then when I walked out of there with my husband, Matthew, I say husband, so people know <laughs> who I'm referring to as Matt. Um, I was like, look at me carrying this tool out of here. And then I was like, and then I put the bag on my arm and I started carrying it like this and like spanking his butt in the parking lot. <laughs> and like, I got all these looks from these people. And Matt's like, I don't think those guys like that over there. And I'm like, well, then I'm going to lap it up. <laughs> I wanted to try both facets. First, I walked manly, like traditionally, conceptually manly. And then I walked manly. Yeah. With another man. Yeah. <laughs> but I walked, in, I, walked, I walked into Home Depot today and I was like, sometimes I get this thing where I'm like, especially when people are in like customer service jobs, um, I'm like, I want to snap them out of it. Yeah. I want them yeah. to not be like him. I want to be like, Leslie, how are you? <laughs> how are you doing? I noticed you're wearing Santa Claus socks. He's coming. <laughs> not that I actually do that. That's creepy. But it like, like I, I love that feeling of like, just taking a little bit more time for like, people who are in those like, those jobs, in those situations, and like trying to make them giggle or laugh. Yeah. And like, feel like, I know it's I know it's only like a minute, but like that somebody yeah. doesn't just think of them as a a way to get what they need or want. Yeah. You're validating that that you're recognizing you're a person. that you see them as a human being. And I think that's especially true with so many jobs that we have. They either we have to dehumanize ourselves either as a necessity for the job or as a necessity to cope and survive with the job. Yeah. And I think that is so tiresome. So when you can just pull somebody out of that, even for a second, it gives them some, you know, a little bit of release, hopefully. Or they're just like, ah, this weirdo keeps coming into Home Depot and talking about my Santa socks. Wait, go back and say this. Is so funny. <laughs> say that again about like, um, how did you say that again? Like, do you have to, you have to cope with the yeah, job? I just think, I think. I think capitalism, most times, mm-hmm. you know, the, the way our economy and lives are structured so much, it either the job requires you to, you have to put on that hat of, <laughs> I'm a customer service person. We're going to yes. use it the rest of the, the rest of the talk. Amy's in here, but you have to use that. Like you have to, you know, if I'm in a customer service experience or whatever job I'm doing while I'm on the clock, part of Eli has to die. I have to stop being that. And I'm a representative of the company at that point. Yes. And, or so like you have to, you know, you have to stop being yourself for that amount of time or because you're being accosted by customers or other people that come in so much, like you have to shut off part of your humanity just to kind of survive to protect yourself. Like ensconce yourself in this coding of I'm just a drone here doing my job. And I think it's incredibly dehumanizing. And I think long-term it's very harmful. Yes. And we lose ways to just be ourselves and express ourselves. That is so well said. And that's also so much of why I have never wanted a normal job. Yeah. I mean, that still yeah. happens like at my job where I'll teach improv or blah, 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 that you, you know, adjust yourself a little bit. But like, I know that feeling working those jobs where you're just like, a part of me has to die. So commerce can happen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's been pretty much every job I've ever had yeah. throughout my life. And it, I always, I have this feeling too that like, I always think about this with like trying to be professional that mm-hmm. it just makes everything feel sterile. Yes. You know, yeah. even as like a person or a performer, like just trying to be professional, like misses, kind of misses the point. Yeah. It just sterilizes everything down. And not even like professionalism one, but I think, so many jobs in America force us to be cheerful and chipper. Mm, yeah, and I think yeah. that's almost more damaging than just being professional. Cause it's like, it's so gross and it delegitimizes any sense of warmth that you would normally have <laughs> yeah, yeah. in interactions with another person. I know I'm only doing this because my boss is standing behind me. You know, I'm only doing it. Yeah. It's not real. It's fake. And it makes us resentful of real human interactions. But now there's, but, oh, okay. Yes. But like, I would say now I have so many customer service 
interactions where I would feel like 90% of the time, especially in Chicago in a bigger city, yeah, I'm kinder to the person helping me than they are to me. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> maybe what? like people are so burnt out on it that like you feel angry that you're expected to be that way, right? Yeah. I don't know if that's fully it, but... Yeah, it, does, it is a two-way street because having worked in customer service so often or so many times, yes. I, I recognize a person who is bad at customer service and I'm like, you being a dick to a customer isn't rebelling against the man. Yeah, it's just you being a dick you know, to the person. I know person. you hate your job, but don't be a dick. I just needed some staples. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's not. Yeah. Be, be, if you're gonna like uh, be brave enough to be a dick, be a dick to your manager, exactly, or someone who's causing the issue. You're not a rebel because or, you come in, yell at everybody, and huff and puff at every customer you have to work with. You're just spreading. You're just spreading that cancer. Is all you're doing. Here's the thing, though. Don't you feel like whenever you like have a an interaction with someone like at their place of employment and their humanity comes through more and you're like talking to them as a person. Like, don't you always feel like that's a more positive interaction every single time? Yeah, absolutely. Uh So it's like, we should, (coughs) we should be striving to do that. Dude, I had this, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think people want to do that, but what corporate America, corporate America has started doing now is they recognize 20 or 30 or 40, however many years ago that, Oh, people like it when we're warm. So now they're forcing all of their drone employees to like bring your own personality to it and be chipper. And it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. Dude, I, my, um, I, you know, an Uber is a different situation, right? When someone's working because it's like yeah. you're in their car, blah, blah, blah. But I'll never forget this time I had this like Uber driver and he literally drove me like for like three or four minutes. And like, we just connected, mm-hmm. and like, yeah. <laughs> there was no, there was nothing like, no sense of like, I was into this person or they were into me or like romance or whatever. Um, it was just we just really connected. And then when I got out of the car, it felt like it was like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be done. And he goes to me, "Hey, I love you, man." Oh. <laughs> and I was like. I love you too. It's a great moment. <laughs> it was a great moment. Like how many times do you have like little interactions like with that with someone you're like, ah, why do I have to step out of this car right now? Like, yeah. yeah. We talked about the people who helped us at Home Depot for like the next 45 minutes. Cause like, like we got them being like silly and having fun with us. And like, we we're like, yeah. Matt was like, those two were just great. Right. You can have really, I love when you have a, a surprise connection with somebody, a complete stranger. It's temporary. It's ethereal. It lasts for just a little bit and then it's gone. Just like improv. Just like improv. Look at that. You thought we were going off on a really long tangent. We were talking about improv the whole time, guys. So Eli, Eli and I, before we used to do our shows, we'd like warm up in the back room, do really stupid yeah. stuff. And we would do we would do like a like a, a blessing from the muses, mm-hmm. and we'd we'd uh, semi jokingly be like, "Let's love on that audience." But I think that's the mindset as a performer is like, "Let's let's make this audience feel special." Yeah, I think at least I think that that should be the mindset. Like that's kind of the, how we always operated, and that's I just kind of felt that way. Is I think performing is a little bit of a customer service role. If you think about it, you want to think about in the form of jobs is you've got people who, you know, they took time out of their day to come in and get a ticket and sit down and hopefully be entertained by you. Why wouldn't you, I'm not saying you have to pander to them, but why wouldn't you want to give them a good, warm, positive experience? Which is like, speaks to the mindset probably you want to be in more of like, like, like giving rather than I need something from it. We talked about earlier about like in an yeah. audition, you needing something from an audition or like from a, like a show, like a improv show that was like a competition, like needing to win. It's like that, that dynamic like just doesn't work when you're not in a place to care about the people you're performing for. Exactly. And I always want to be providing, not taking. 
is how I want to do it. Because it'll even like make you change your choices comedically, right? Like if your goal is like you're in a second city main stage audition, right? Mm-hmm. And you have 30 seconds to make the auditors laugh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or that's at least the pressure you feel like you have, right? Or something like that, where it's some short audition like that. And you're, you feel like I'm trying to get something for myself versus I'm going to do what's best for the moment, the scene. Uh, oh, boy. Did I lose you, Eli? Oh, there you go. No, I'm still um, The moment, the scene, the character. Like maybe the scene needs me to like not do anything funny. Yeah, right? just exist. Maybe, be there. Yeah, maybe this. I need to play the straight man in the scene, and you you get into those like moments when you're like in an audition or a competition, and you're like, I need to, to get a laugh. Yeah, it always feels yeah. awful. It always feels awful. It's disgusting. Which is I hate prob- it. you probably shouldn't be thinking that way to begin with. This should just still be like, how do I serve the scene? How do I serve my partner? But it's hard to be in that yeah. mindset. But I think it's also a natural outcome when you force scarcity on people. Yes. People are going to, if there's only a limited amount of food, folks are going to, or if they think there's a limited amount of food, people are going to fight over that food. If they think there's a limited amount of spots on that main stage or that conservatory, there's one job, no matter how yes. good they want to be, they're going to fight with each other. I just it. want, I want to go into some audition sometime and someone just like break a couple of pool sticks like the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> And just tell them the last person alive gets to keep their life or gets yeah. to keep the job. Because that's, that. that's, that's what it is. That's, that's what, really it is. what it is. It's that scarcity yeah. model. Let's just be honest about it, guys. One of you's going to have to starve to death or bleed to death. Uh, I'll I let had, you decide who you're going to be. I had uh, Andrew, I can't think of his last name right now. Um, he runs Logan Square Improv on the podcast a few podcast episodes well, ago. That was such a great episode. I loved. I like that such opened up guy. after I left, and it sounds like a wonderful place. It is so cool. But he, yeah. one thing that he said that I loved in that uh, episode was that um, uh, there's no scarcity model for laughter when you're in a yes. show, and like, <laughs> it's not like. If you're if you're if your uh, teammates are X funny, then well, then you don't get to be like get as many laughs or like there's not as, like a scarcity model for joy or humor when yeah. you're in a show, and like to operate like that as a performer, right? Especially like you know in a show, not to mention an audition, is like completely the wrong mindset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's eventually why I felt like I dis- that's kind of like what lent itself to me deciding to leave is. I couldn't break out of that scarcity model when I went and auditioned or tried to perform. Like I recognized that it was wrong and I could see that it didn't need to be that way. But after so many years, I couldn't quite stop banging my head against that wall. And so I was like, "Eh, I just got to disconnect myself from it. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it's easy to, to like, again, like, you know, you talk about like feeling a certain way in a space or a location, right? If you have like, you feel like a history of hiccups, at a theater, right? It's hard to step your feet back into that theater yeah. and feel like you yeah. can do well. Or like, so funny. This is awful for me saying this, but there's been something so wonderful, Eli, about uh, Matt and I like trying to like spend more time outside of Chicago. Yeah. And I got down to the area where like a few of the theaters are in town um, to go to a home to Home Depot as I'm going there like every day to pick up stuff. And like there was this freedom of like, oh, I'm working on this project that is exciting and creative to me and it has nothing to do with needing something from a theater or an institution. Yeah. And like um like me like feeling like Going into the store and getting some stuff while I was in that area I felt like this the weirdest like fuck you of like, ooh, this is this sounds more exciting to me right now and more interesting than wanting to, you know, do what I've done in the past. And it was being just in that location that made me all of us feel that intensity of like, ooh, I resent I resent feeling like I want something. Uh yeah. from some of these theaters, right? Which is easy to feel. Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's almost, it's almost impossible to feel that way. I know there's some people that 
are able to not feel that way, I think, or at least tamp it down. But it's, I don't know how they get that skill. I don't know how they're able to do it. It's a superpower to me. And to be fair, like I'm teasing out one aspect of how I feel about these theaters. This is not how I feel all the time or is like not the overwhelming feeling in me. But there's that, there is that side where it's like, you know, no matter what you're doing at any of these places, you can easily mentally make, um, make it not enough for yourself or like yeah. compare yeah. yourself or like, Oh, I should be doing something better. Or like I should be on a, another night of the week or, you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. can always create that for yourself. Very interesting. It's very interesting. It's also very just got works for you. I yeah. think I loved going to I, you know, any of the big IO second city. I always loved going to them as a spectator and an audience member and seeing shows is such a wonderful experience. I loved it. I love the energy. I love the vibe. I love how each of them have their own little communities and everything, but going there as a performer was always the most stressful thing. And I could never shake that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. But you, uh, you, you, you definitely did it well enough to like have like fantastic shows, but maybe, you know, oh, in the back yeah. of head. Absolutely. I had great times there. I had great, yeah. great, great memories. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's one of the things that's so empowering, too, about, like, so many people doing things now, whether it's on, like, YouTube or, like, becoming Twitter famous or something, is that you don't, like, need the permission of these places. Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't need to beg them for something you want. You can just do your creative thing. And, like... Yeah. That democratization of creativity is a beautiful yes. thing. It is very much so. Um, have you spent any time on TikTok? <laughs> no, I haven't. I haven't downloaded it. Almost <laughs> in principle, I don't know why. I just I love, I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's there's so much creativity on TikTok. Eli, what's These, your handle? What's your handle on TikTok? How do we uh, find you? Eels Weatherby. Eels. You don't need to. TikTok. It's okay. <laughs> no, I'm I'm the, people the people want to see your work. The people want to see your work. No, yeah, you can go there if you want. Yeah, I don't know, but go at work. I'd call it me dicking around. Fans only. But uh, honestly, there are like Gen Z kids got it figured out. They can create things so such amazing things on TikTok in sixty seconds, in fifteen seconds. The yeah. things that they're able to do blows my mind. And you know what? And I, I all the time, like the thing I consume more than like a a, a, a show is I consume, like, I watch YouTube videos. Yeah. And I listen to podcasts. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you watch people's, like, videos on, like, Instagram or blah, blah, blah. It's, like, I spend more time watching that stuff than a professionally produced shows. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just so much more digestible and easy to get to. I don't know. It's probably junk food. It's the, yeah, it's yeah, the entertainment. Yeah equivalent of junk food sometimes maybe but i know it's it's fun to step into this this sphere where you've got someone who's not a polished gives off or you know gives off that air of being a polished professional and just seeing them sharing what they have with the world it's fun to see it's exciting you root for them yeah you want them to do well there's a couple chicago improvisers that have been like posting some like funny ass videos like yeah. very funny and there'll be like moments of like that sort of stuff or like some stuff that you posted that like ranks right up there with like some of my favorite sketch comedy <laughs> even if they're like yeah. the little moments yeah you know like i would say like some of my favorite sketch comedy would be like um what is it thank you for leaving i always forget the name of that show with uh oh. think you should leave i think you should leave now yeah oh, so that so like the characters like you know like portlandia stuff like that you know um i love that stuff but like you know like some of like these like clips that people have been posting and i think it's just because they have more like creative time right now during the pandemic Mm -hmm. yeah like (laughs) are so freaking funny they're like as good as like a good sketch in one of those shows yeah and i think that it's definitely that uh combination of free time which people have a lot of right now um that uh, existential angst, yes. real dread that yes. myself or my family members might die or there's people dying around us. I think that produces a lot of great art. And then on top of that, 
that it's so accessible with technology now to just use your phone to, you know, shoot video that's as good a quality as what they were shooting, I don't know, 10 years ago on these big expensive, I don't know, dragon cameras or whatever. People are, we live in an amazing, amazing time. I want to add a second variable to that, third variable. It's not just people are dying around us and ex- yeah. that sort of existential dread. The existential dread, like for those of us who have very little work right now, yeah. even if you're getting um, like like government assistant or, or, or like some sort of unemployment, right? Like... The first week after the summer, I was very busy working, uh, teaching online in the summer. Then it like dropped down to like almost nothing, and like being like physically like sick to my stomach, where everything I ate like made me sick for about a month. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I think this is stress. <laughs> I don't think this is a stomach bug. Like I did the mental math. Like, oh yeah, this must be stress. It, it doesn't even hit me on stress until until I think about what it is. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And like, <laughs> just like, yeah, and you have all this time, all this time to think. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I, yeah, exist, existential. I hadn't thought about it quite like this, but, you know, there's like, a, I say this, like population science, whatever you call it. But, you know, when people we're dying when you're, when you're, when an organism is put under stress, a lot of times it wants to procreate, create more of itself. And that's what we would have done, you know, in past pandemics and past times of stress, but now we would have been more horny. Yeah. Instead of making babies, we're making uh, videos. We're making making art. Damn. Damn. Maybe just a thought, just throwing it out there. (laughs) I think that's better. Uh, We got enough people right now. Eli Weatherby, um, this has been a delight. I would love to, yeah. man, every time like I get to work with you or do something with you, I just feel so like creatively like excited and like complete. Yes. Uh, I'd it's love to, always, it's always such a joyous experience. It's I'd so love to find more times to either have you on the podcast or do something creative or shoot that, um, that or life coach pilot. You know, maybe we should get we around of to age. that. Huh? <laughs> we are of age. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eli. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Had a great time. What a delight. Stay on, stay on the line. I'm going to pretend to turn it off. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Thanks for doing it. Dude. Oh, dude, that was so much fun. Oh. Um,